BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only, Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Consumer Cellular, you get the same exact coverage as the largest carriers, but for up to half the cost. Same thing, up to half the cost. Up to half the cost for the same thing. 50% the money for 100% the same thing. I hope I'm making myself clear. Consumer Cellular. When freedom calls, we're here to answer. Call us at 1-888-FREEDOM. Half the cost savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single-line 5-gigabyte data plan with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single-line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plan offered by T-Mobile and Verizon May 2023. From the Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. It's one of the sins, you realize. It's a sin, gluttony. One of the seven deadly sins, right? It's not a, just a sin. Not a, hey, I wish you wouldn't do that. It's a d- death. Yeah, so it's not only just bad for you, it's a sin. God does not like God gluttony. Yeah, I'm telling well, you. displeased with me. Yeah, me too. I'm speaking to myself. Let's, let's just tone down the gluttony. I ate the last big plate full of mashed potatoes, gravy, turkey, and stuffing last night, and let's just tone her down a little bit. Maybe something a little light tonight. Yeah. Let's yeah. let's walk away from the t- let's walk away from the table and not waddle away from the table for the first time in four days. <laughs> How much apple crisp is enough? I'm asking myself, not you. Oh, it's so good though. Warmed up little ice cream. Oh there were references to how my gallbladder gave up on me last year. <laughs> and uh, I'm running out of organs. It quit and walked out. Yes. The great resigning, or whatever they call that. <laughs> uh, so uh, here, here's a young man who's slim and in fine uh, physical condition, not to mention a uh, sharp mind, and that's Tim Sandifer, Tim the lawyer. Tim Sandifer is the vice president for litigation for the Goldwater Institute, author of many fine tomes, including some of my favorites, The Right to Earn a Living and The Permission Society, uh, and, and also a brand new book, which we'll talk to him about in a couple of minutes. But Tim, how are you? Welcome. Uh I don't know, man. I think I may have uh, indulged in a little of that gluttony myself over Thanksgiving. Yes. I know you're we, not we uh, frightened by your maker, but it's not always in the best health for all of us. <laughs> we, went to, we, went, we spent Thanksgiving in Hawaii, so uh, I, am, I am now officially what the Hawaiians call a pua'a, or pig. <laughs> and 
gorged myself at the luau. So, hey, by the way, I saw that post on your Twitter, you and your in and the, your wedding anniversary, and the picture of you and Christine on the couch as a Simpsons drawing. Where'd you come up with that? That was awesome. I don't know. My wife contacted the artist and got that done Simpsons-style portrait of our family uh, sitting on the Simpsons couch. It's absolutely perfect. It's going to go well on my wall. That is so cool. Wow, that is a cool gift. Yeah, indeed. So, Tim, we have a lot of stuff to talk to you about. A couple of big cases, uh, one that you've been working on personally, and then your new book is out, and we want to talk to you about that. But let's uh, let's uh, first bring the gavel down and talk about... Uh, the cases. Now, for instance, you're working on an Indian Child Welfare Act case. We've talked to you about it, but for folks not familiar with it, give them the thumbnail sketch, if you would. That's a federal that that law is a federal law that says how states have to treat child welfare cases like abuse and neglect and adoption and foster care if a child is biologically eligible for membership in an Indian tribe. So it draws this biological distinction between kids and says that states have to treat these Indian children differently. And what's amazing about it is it says they have to treat these Indian children worse because this law actually overrides the best interest of the child rule, which is the rule that governs how these kinds of cases are dealt with, and it forces state officials to send Indian children back to abused homes in situations that would not happen if the kids were white or black or Asian or Hispanic or whatever. And as a result, this law has led to the preventable murder of Indian children across the country in case after case after case. So we've been challenging the constitutionality of this law, and that case went to the U.S. Supreme Court and was argued a couple of weeks ago. I went out to D.C. to uh, to attend these oral arguments. It was a very exciting thing to witness. Well, what was what's the argument for, for the status quo? Because it well, sounds horrifically law, racist. It it really is. But the the reasoning behind it at the time was actually they they thought they were doing a good thing because in the decades that preceded its passage, which was in 1978. States and federal officials, they had been engaged in this program of purposely taking Indian children away from their families in order to forcibly assimilate them with white society. And so that that was like, you know, taking kids away from their families for no good reason. And so they said, well, how can we stop this from happening? And so they passed this law intending to put an end to that. But as almost seems to almost always happen, the government went too far the other direction and ended up passing a law that actually prohibits states from protecting these children nowadays in many cases. Wow, that's just the results are unthinkable. And just the the logic strikes or the lack of logic is so troubling. Um, But so that it's been argued and, you know, it's difficult to, to say how it went. But how'd it go? Oh, it went pretty well. It was it was four hours of oral argument, which is incredibly long. Ooh. I mean, that's like 19th century style back when they used to take all day. And the uh, the justices were all very attentive to the uh, very complicated constitutional questions here, because it's not just that it's race based. It's also what are the limits between federal and state authority and what are the what do the regulations say? There's a lot of parts of the law that actually aren't defined. So nobody really knows what some of these terms mean and things. So it went back and forth. There were some really good arguments on both sides. I'm optimistic. I think that the argument went pretty well for us. 
I I'm predicting it'll be a 5-4. I think it'll be close, but I think it I I'm optimistic that this case is going to to declare this law unconstitutional and force Congress to say, look, the, without regard to, to children's race, we need to prioritize their best interests. Can't say, you know, like this law basically prohibits white adults from adopting Indian children. Children who are in need don't—they're not interested in color lines. They need protection and help. And this law is a law that says that even when there are adults willing to help children in need, they're not allowed to if they're the wrong race. And that's really outrageous. How, how much of the uh, the oral arguments was that new chatty Supreme Court justice just talks too much? <laughs> yeah, there there was a little bit of that. It wasn't too much, but you know, after four hours, I think we were all so exhausted that when actually it was funny that Chief Justice said, uh, "Thank you, the case is submitted," which means everybody's done. Well, one of the lawyers had not had his chance to to finish up his argument, so he stood there with this funny look on his face until the Chief Justice said, "Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead." And he went up to the podium and he said, "I take the hint, Your Honor." And <laughs> he was as quick as you could be. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Wow. Okay. Let's talk about another case that I was asking you about a few weeks ago uh, that had to do with enforcing laws against uh, public camping, blocking sidewalks, etc. in Phoenix as, uh, you know, every, it need not be reset, but everybody in every blue city in the country and some of the purple cities is dealing with this horrific influx of, of junkie camps everywhere. What's that case about? Yeah. Unfortunately, Phoenix is now the the location of one of the largest homeless encampments in the country. Over a thousand people who are living in what we call the zone on several blocks of downtown Phoenix in tents and on the streets because of a city policy to refuse to enforce laws against vagrancy and camping and pollution and these sorts of things. And as a result, it's destroying the businesses in the area. These people who, who are trying to run a business in these several blocks that are now being occupied by the homeless are they're they're finding that they can't have they can't hire people to work in these businesses. They can't protect the safety of their employees. They can't even protect their own businesses from 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 arson. They're, these people are setting fires to stay warm now that it's getting colder. And one person testified at a recent hearing that he had to have all the wheel the windows in the building sealed because of all the urine no. soaking into the to the place where he works because of these homeless encampments. So. Several business owners have filed suit in the, the state courts here challenging the, the city's maintenance of a public nuisance. A nuisance is, you know, when you use your property in a way that damages somebody else's property. And the government's not allowed to run a nuisance any more than anybody else is. And by maintaining this homeless encampment now for, for a couple of years now and, attra- and basically attracting this, this element to the community to destroy people's property, the city is engaged in a nuisance. Now, unfortunately, we had a hearing several weeks ago, and then the case got reassigned to a new judge. So now we have to have another hearing next week uh, seeking a court order commanding the city to start enforcing its own laws. Well, obviously, this could have far-reaching consequences if it goes the correct way to my mind. I don't know where you draw the line at nuisance, but maybe that would finally be the way you break up these camps, right? That's that's right. And in fact, there is one precedent already in place. Remember when when uh, uh, I think it was Portland, they were operated what they called Chaz or Chop or whatever the the, the yeah, Seattle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to set up the this uh, autonomous commun- zone in the middle of the city and refuse to enforce the law there. 
As a result, a lot of people suffered their, their property was being destroyed and taken away from them. So they sued the city, and the, the federal court allowed that case to go forward, saying that that was a taking of their property without due process of law. So there is precedence on the book that says that when the government just completely uh, washes its hands of its obligation to enforce the law and protect people's property rights, then it can be liable for depriving people of their constitutional rights. Yeah, that's interesting because I know I know business owners who who feel like they can't they don't get near the as many customers as they would normally get because it's so hard right. to get to their front door. And what's so frustrating for us, the largely law abiding, is that uh, they're violating sewage laws, they're violating camping laws, they're violating drug use laws, and just there's a lack of political will, or I should say, putting in the affirmative, there's a political will to ignore the law. Unlicensed yeah. dogs off leash. I mean, it's endless. Refusing yeah. to enforce the, the laws against pollution. It's illegal in Arizona to pollute the public waterways. Well, this zone is within walking distance of the Salt River. People are urinating and defecating on the streets and the sidewalks, and that when it rains, that runs off into the river. Well, no private party would be allowed to do that, and the city isn't allowed to do that either. I was kind of surprised when you said it's been going on for years, because when you first said 1,000 people, I thought, well, can't you just wait till summer? It'll take, kind of take care of itself, but it's been going on for years. What, how, did, how do you stay in one of those places in the summertime? I, 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 I can't imagine. And, of course, in the winter, they're going to start setting even more fires than they currently are, which sets fires to the tents a lot of the time and starts to burn down the buildings. And we're talking about these buildings are – these, these uh, tents are basically situated between the main campus of Arizona State University and the state capitol building in Phoenix. So you're talking about uh, places we would really rather not have violent crime and arson going on. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only, Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled, going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. 
Tim Sanford is the vice president for litigation at the Goldwater Institute. If you just missed our conversation with him about a couple of really interesting cases, grab it via podcast later. Armstrong and Getty on demand. But now, now let's move on to his brand new book, Freedom's Furies, How Isabel Patterson, Rose Wilder Lane, and Ayn Rand Found Liberty in an Age of Darkness. Uh, it's ladies' night. Tim Sandifer's a word processor. Hey, Tim, <laughs> what inspired right. you? Yeah. Well, I, I it's just I've always thought it was a really interesting story that these three women in the year 1943, each of them published books that basically started the modern libertarian movement. And it turns out that they knew each other and were friends, and they were all very interesting people. Rose Wilder Lane, for example, basically ghost-wrote the Little House on the Prairie novels with her mother, Laura Ingalls Wilder. And, of course, Rand started a philosophical movement that was very influential. She had been born in the Soviet Union and escaped to the United States as a a young woman to, to get away from Stalin's Russia. And Patterson is not very well known, but in, during her lifetime, she was the most influential book critic probably in, a, in, in New York City, and a very powerful voice. And the three of them together, they, they were friends, and, and they decided to kind of uh, push back against the New Deal. And uh, so I decided to write a little bit about them, and it turned into a book that's more on the literary and political history of the New Deal and of their own writing and their own careers than anything else. Um, I like the books pushing back against the New Deal because, you know, it's regularly hail- hailed in mainstream media as an obviously good thing for everyone yeah. in the country. Um, how did how did they define their political views? I mean, what was the what were the main tenets of their political view? They considered themselves individualists, so they didn't really use the word libertarian. Um, even Rand particularly hated the word libertarian. They considered themselves radicals for capitalism. That is, they they were ki- they were a kind of liberal in the sense that they were in favor of liberating individuals, which is what liberal used to mean. But they thought the best way to liberate individuals was through the free market to let people do their own thing, and only uh, bring the, have the government become involved if people start violating each other's rights by taking their stuff away or beating them up or whatever. They didn't believe in government as a savior or a protector figure. And I think that's part of the reason why their being women was relevant, because Patterson and Lane were born in 1886. So they were in their 30s when uh, women got the right to vote in America. And so they were very familiar with the way that being protected or shielded from from the the harsh things in life is really a euphemism for taking people's freedom away from them. Mm. And of course, Rand, you know, in the Soviet Union, they had been promised, oh, well, we're, government is going to oversee a, a, an era of utopia and plenty. And she, of course, witnessed personally how that actually worked out. So the, I think they were especially sensitive to the idea that being protected means taking your freedom away. Interesting, especially because it's it's fairly indisputable that when women gain the right to vote, sympathy increased a great deal for a more mommyish government, a more caretaker government. That was certainly their view. That was certainly what Patterson thought. Patterson thought that she was very, very uh, a kind of a cynical personality, and she thought that when the New Deal came along. The masculine virtues all basically disappeared, and she, she late in her life, she used to say, "I grew up in a, in, a, in a world where men were men." But she thought that that with with the coming of Franklin Roosevelt and the bureaucratic state that is supposed to protect everybody, that men just vanished from the earth, and what we were left with was guys who were just begging for favors and protection instead, and it disgusted her. Lane, of course, she grew up on the western frontier. She, she grew up on the prairie. She hated it so much that she moved to Albania to get away from it. 
but she grew up in um, in the West, and so she knew what it was uh, from her parents and her grandparents what it was what what masculine virtues were necessary to settle the Western frontier. And Rand had this idea of what masculine virtue meant of of being bold and uncompromising, self reliant, and so forth. And she thought that was being undermined by the New Deal. So they all they all thought um, the American character of boldness and enterprise is being destroyed by government intervention. That's fantastic. I love that. I promise I will read this book. And I, like I said, I love any pushback against the idea that the New Deal was just overwhelmingly positive for America. So the title the is poet, Freedom's the, Furies, How Isabel Patterson, Rose Wilder, Lane, Nine Rand Found Liberty in an Age of Darkness. We'll have a link at armstrongandgetty.com so you can find it easily. Tim, we apologize, but we're up against a hard break and must bid you a fond adieu. Appreciate your time, though. Thanks, guys. Yeah, it's always great to talk. Thanks, Tim. Yeah, you run into that all the time in mainstream media that the the New Deal, you know, that's that's what uh, that's what Biden should do. That's what he should do. It the brought same us thing. out of the darkness, right? Yeah. Armstrong and Getty. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled, going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity.